Welcome to the happiest place on earth, or something like that. It's a Disney day on the Second Day Film Podcast. It's the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. It is Thursday, July 22nd, 2021. Uh, we've got the cr- whole crew here for it. I'm your host, Brandon Champion. I'm Mike Nichols. And I'm Evan Dean. And we're so happy to be back on the pod talking shop. Love it whenever I get to see your guys' smiling faces all across the U.S. from Michigan to Texas down to Florida where it was 110 degrees or some shit today. Uh, But as I alluded to, we've got somewhat of a a themed show today uh, because we will be reviewing three Disney films as well as another long-anticipated sequel that just hit HBO Max. It's it's not a Disney film, but, you know, it kind of fits in with the animation theme anyway. Uh, so, uh, guys, how's it going? Anything to report? Were you, uh, what, what have you been up to lately? Evan, are you, how's the heat, man? That, I saw you tweeted earlier how hot it was down there. No fucking way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I've mostly uh, adapted to the heat. I actually embrace it. I, I don't mind it. But this is next level. Um, we have heat indexes of, like, heat indices of, like, 110. And, uh Obviously, as you know, I just saw you and a bunch of friends and family in Michigan where the, it's not nearly as humid. Just got back from vacation in Florida this week, and it's packing a punch, man. But uh, all's good, you know, just cranking the AC. And, Mike, you just woke up from a nap, correct? No, no, I was But I just got back from Maine, which was beautiful. Oh, yeah. My cousin's wedding, and that was that was a wonderful time seeing family. First time I've gotten to see my parents since before the pandemic hit. So, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely nice to get a, get a bit of traveling in while you still can. Yeah, yeah. Maine is always somewhere I've wanted to go. The pics look pretty sweet. Looked like you had a good time there. Uh, glad you got to finally see your parents. It's I think a lot of us feel that way, uh, where we've been able to see people that we haven't or that we weren't for a long time. So. Uh, let's get into it though. We got a busy show today. Four titles being reviewed. If you could please like and rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it. Check us out on Facebook at Second Day Film Podcast and on Twitter at Second Day Film. You can find our previous episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. So uh, yeah, just a rating review. Tell someone about it. Would very much appreciate it. And thank you for listening. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Let's get into it. Uh, Cruella. That's going to be the first one up here today. Uh, This film just came out about a month ago. It's a live-action prequel feature film following a young Cruella de Vil, who is, of course, the villain from 101 Dalmatians. Uh, This was directed by Craig Gillespie and stars Emma Stone uh, as Estella. Emma Thompson is the Baroness. Joel Fry is Jasper. Paul Walter Hauser is Horace. And Mark Strong is John the Valet. That's kind of the main principal cast members there. Uh, this is a film when I when I when it came out, I was like, Emma Stone is going to play Corel, a young Corel Deville. That sounds like absolute perfect golden casting. Uh, and I think for the most part, she did a good job. But uh, I'll toss it to you, Evan, because I think you and me are the ones who have seen this. Uh, you saw Cruella some time ago in the theater. Um, so uh, what are some of your initial thoughts on Cruella? Yeah, uh, right out the gate. I think the the, the first thing that um... I noticed and I took away from this is just how great Emma Stone was as Cruella. I mean, uh, you said this was going to be a great match. It was. I mean, she's, uh, she's really done a solid job in a variety of performances. And the interesting thing about the prequel of Cruella is, of course, in the animated film, she's just straight evil, straight villain, right? 
And in the prequel, it presents a kind of a different opportunity for Cruella. Um, and Emma Stone is taken kind of on this journey, um, this self-discovery of deciding who she wants to be and exactly how evil she wants to be, for lack of a better term. And there are some critical moments in the film, specifically with the Dalmatians themselves and what she does or doesn't do with them. And those critical decisions um, veer from the original Cruella story and go in a different direction. And she takes, essentially, she takes a, a more righteous path while also being uh, incredibly edgy at the same time. Uh, so the Cruella we get here is not the kind of Cruella that would have you know, that would launch into what we saw in the uh, animated film. But I thought Emma Stone did an excellent job. You know, you have the Baroness by Emma Thompson, who's great. She's more of the pure evil uh, that, you know, um, Estella or Cruella, you know, could have had the path to take. And of course, you know, the movie is super stylish, right? I mean, she's an aspiring designer, fashion designer. And so, uh, the wardrobes in this are really cool, really creative. I wouldn't be surprised if um, whoever did, you know, hair, makeup, and the wardrobe is nominated for something. Um, but all in all, I thought it was a good flick, uh, highlighted by a solid performance by Emma Stone. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take long for them to answer the big question, which is why does she hate uh, dogs so much? Why does she mm-hmm. specifically hate Dalmatians? I mean, the, throughout the whole film, we're clearly like, the, the purpose of this film was clearly to paint Cruella as a more nuanced and sympathetic character. Um, because yeah. like you said, in the, in the, uh, the animated film, it, it was, she's just batshit crazy. And even the 101 <laughs> Dalmatians live action, one that they did with Glenn Close playing Cruella Deville, she was basically just a one note crazy lady we never really got any depth as to why she is the way she is um so like this film is very much concerned with sort of painting her with a more sympathetic paintbrush kind of trying to build the layers to how she became the way she was and yeah we get we get the big answer right off the jump uh as to why maybe she would have resentment towards dogs and i don't want to spoil it for you mike but it was we get answers quick pretty quickly so they don't leave it (laughs) lingering out there as to why cruella ends up the way she is uh, because obviously she's not even called Cruella at the beginning of the film she's Estella and Cruella yeah. sort of develops into this fashion alter ego straight out of Zoolander or some shit uh, so <laughs> it was interesting in that way where it sort of added layers to the Cruella Deville character and I sort of expected that to come in uh, one thing I didn't realize coming in though is we have the two Emmas here with Emma Thompson and Emma Stone you mentioned Emma, Emma Stone off the jump I kind of feel like Emma Thompson stole the show in this movie as the Baroness. I mean, the way that she just is that slick talking, like instant burn can just talk anyone under the rug is like, bring me my Thai latte, bring me my salad chopped this way, uh, like torn, not ripped or something. She says something like that. She's like, yeah, she's, color- great. she's like, you're colorblind and you act like you're not like just some of her burns just had me dying. Yeah. Yeah. She, she obviously did a great job and in the pure evil role. I think why I was so impressed by Emma Stone is the same reason I said earlier. She's more of a conflicted character who's finding herself, who has a path to take. Um, Obviously you'll learn there's some similarities between her and the Baroness. Um, Won't spoil that, but 
I just thought, you know, you, you said it right. She was such a, a developed character, uh, Estella into Cruella. And I thought that's why uh, Emma Stone did such a great job. And she kind of, you see her evolve really before your eyes as the movie plays out. And I thought it was a, a lot of fun to see that performance. I was a little conflicted watching it, though. Like, you're right. Like, it was a lot of fun to look at. The production design, the costumes, the set pieces were just filled yeah. with flair and colors and just sort of sleek, you know, because they're kind of, we're kind of in that high fashion world. So it was, it was cool to just see, like, you know, uh, it was fun to watch. But I was sort of conflicted watching it because I'm like, okay, yeah, so she's turning into Cruella. She's slowly, this is happening, and it makes me feel a little bit worse for her. But by the end of the film, like, just because Emma Thompson's character is so evil and crappy doesn't mean that Cruella gets a free pass just because she's less evil and crappy, you know? So I I was a little bit conflicted, like, are are we supposed to, like, be rooting for this lady? Because the film definitely wants us to root for Cruella, but we know she's going to go keep going down this path to where she's trying to murder dogs. So I I don't really... Well... I don't know that we do know that though. I'm what well, I'm we saying. We don't know. Is, it's a prequel. I know, but I, but what I'm saying is that this film chose a different end path for Cruella. I think there I were didn't two read it like that at all. I, I read it like that, I read it like she put she gives them you know the dogs or whatever, and then that's maybe it's just going to be time. It's just going to take her to turn in and want to come back and take them. But maybe we just have a differing read on that. I don't know. No, I, I read it. I read it totally different because she had the, the choice, the decision in this movie where there's a point in which, um, spoiler alert, there's a point in which she chooses whether, you know, we're not sure if she has indeed killed the dogs or not. She chooses not to. Turns out they she didn't kill them. And she also has a moment with the Baroness where she's in a similar situation and she chooses the righteous path. So we see two times in this film where she ends up t- making um, the right choice, the righteous choice, the good choice. And I, my impression was that you, you reach the end of the film and you have a Cruella that isn't what we would end up seeing in the later films. That's how I read it. But maybe that's open for interpretation. I think it is because I read it as, okay, we see here that she's not so bad right now. She's made some decent choices, but that doesn't mean she, can, she doesn't make bad choices in the future. So I guess we just don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's either way to look at it. I was taking it as this is the straight prequel. This is the same Cruella we knew from the 101 Dalmatians. And someday she's going to morph into that. But I guess it is, I guess it is somewhat left open-ended at the end there. Well, don't you think they made the specific choices, though, in the film to, I think that they were to just try- how she behaved differently? I think they were just trying to make her seem less terrible than Emma Thompson. I think it was like the better of two evils. Mm. I mean, I, I wasn't, I don't know. She wasn't a totally redeemable character. I didn't think, I mean, no, but there, no, not at all. But, but she, but the end, but she didn't end up going the route of, of the Baroness. And, and again, I think leaving that as a cliffhanger as to what she did with the dogs and then finding out she took the right path, I think was a significant, moment in the film is to say who she is nobody wants a nice cruella come on she's one of the most iconic villains of all time you're telling me they're just going to completely retcon it that doesn't make sense to me but well well, but you can't have an entirely evil character be a central figure in a film well watch the sopranos you definitely can have an anti-hero as the the main they're not disney's not going to do that i should say 
<laughs> All right. Well, you can read it. I think there's more. It is a little bit open-ended. I think there's two different yeah. ways to read it. You can watch it for yourself and, and sort of let us know what you think about it. A couple other things that kind of bothered me, uh, mainly one, they obviously had to do a lot of things with dogs in this, uh, but they didn't go the practical route very often. The, the fake, the CGI dogs was just, it was rubbing me the wrong way. And I know you can't do some of the things that they're doing in the film with real dogs, but I didn't think the CGI was great on the fake dog thing. Well, yeah, no, I think you're right. And when they took the route that the dogs, the Dalmatians were just straight evil, whereas <laughs> that's not at all the route that the other films take they're they're the, the creatures that you know we're trying to save you're rooting that they get saved so i agree the evil dalmatians just seemed a little bit odd um and yeah i mean you're right the animation like the cgi it's whenever you're going to cgi something that you can easily have a live action replacement it's always tough to like make that call if that was the right move. It's always the old debate like what we have with Yoda in Star Wars when you used to have mm-hmm. the old puppet Yoda and then they went to full CGI Yoda in the prequels and everyone freaked out because it just looked corny and hokey. So uh, what grade would yeah. you give Cruella? I probably would give it about a 6.5 maybe. I think that's I – I see my rating as a 7 in IMDb, but I think 6.5 was what I landed on in my head. Yeah, I'm right in that same range. I'm between a 6.5 and a 7. I, I did like yeah. it, but I, I did have – the whole time I was watching it, it was, like, enjoyable, but I did feel like it was a little bit more style over substance a lot of times where I was just kind of going for – the big spectacle and like the cool runways and the weird set pieces with Emma Stone, you know, plotting her revenge or how she's going to do this or so a little more style over substance at times. I think it, you know, I did, they did a good job with the character, but I think that they could have maybe done even a little bit more. And again, maybe flushed out a little bit more, some of that uh, confusion that we have, because I seem to think that they were putting her more on a path to being, you know, terrible Corella where you think they kind of redeemed her so the fact that we're even yeah. debating that is kind of an issue should that feel like that should be more clear as to what direction they're kind of leaving us with so yeah um, um, yeah it'd be interesting to see what the director actually had intended but yeah all in all I think we both landed in the same zone definitely good watchable film but not anything that's going to slot among you know the best of Disney's live action for sure. Um, let's move on to another very highly anticipated film. I feel like both of those films, Cruella and the one we're talking about next, have been in development for literally forever. Uh, but the next one we're going to talk about here is Space Jam, A New Legacy. Uh, this film was directed by Malcolm D. Lee. It stars basketball star LeBron James as a fictionalized version of himself. Don Cheadle is our villain in this film. Cedric Joe plays LeBron's son. Chris Davis is his agent. Sonequa Martin-Green is his wife. And his other son is played by Sarah J. Wright. Um, so Wood Harris, our boy, makes an appearance. And I, th- I think Anthony Davis, Draymond Green, Damian Lillard, Clay Thompson... Uh, what is it, Diana Taurasi? Like they're they're kind of the the bad guy sort of stand-ins uh, here, the goon squad. So they're not really in the movie, but they're definitely like modeled at least in the animation. Um, the plot summary says. A rogue artificial intelligence kidnaps the son of famed basketball player LeBron James, who then has to work with Bugs Bunny and the Looney Tunes to win a basketball game. 
Uh, this is the long, long, long-awaited sequel to Space Jam, which I think came out in 1996 and starred Michael Jordan as well as the other Looney Tunes. Uh, me and Mike saw this one. Uh, I just watched it last night. And uh, Mike, I think you saw it recently as well. Uh, you sent us a, a text in our group chain about sort of sort of hinting at your thoughts on space jam uh so i kind of know which way you're gonna go with this but uh why don't you just tell me what you didn't like about space jam mike (laughs) um i believe in the text message i just sent one word abomination (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so i i actually got to re-watch the original space jam right before i watched it when i was on the flight they, the, they had different services of films you could watch. And one of them was Space Jam. And I was like, oh, it's the new one. Great. I'll watch it on the plane. It was the old one. But I kept watching because... As one, one does. <laughs> you know, it's still a classic, silly, loony movie that I love from childhood. And yeah, I'm not going to say it doesn't have its flaws. Uh, even then, it was a weird movie. But you know what? It worked for what it was. So now this new one, a new legacy comes along and just it was not uh uh, it was rough it was like i there were genuine moments where i like kind of groaned while watching it like oh (laughs) i can't believe this is what it basically the plot is now years later after the first space jam game which is almost never referenced um lebron james has a son who's into computer games his dad, LeBron James, is just being hard on his son. of like, no, you got to be into basketball, not computer games. Like, So then the son uh, gets to meet with this new, um, uh, you know, that Warner Brothers wants to put LeBron James into all their movies. Like, they just want to see G.I. him into movies. Because won't that, doesn't that make sense? Uh, and then the, the, the algorithm, or algae, uh, rhythm uh, played by, by Don, Don in a very thankless villain role um, uh, then basically uh, lures LeBron James and his son into a computer database which then brings them into the Warner Brothers server that Al- Algae Rhythm runs and so then it's just hey here's all the different Warner Brothers property we properties we own see you see you're you're in the DC world. Oh, look, it's Mad Max. Hey, remember the Matrix? Oh, here's Harry Potter, Casablanca, Game of Thrones, King Kong. And the whole movie is just them jumping through these pop culture references. And it's not even that, like, witty or clever. It's just like, hey, here's the same scene from the Matrix, but this time it's Looney Tunes' granny doing it. it, it there's, no, there's no real clever commentary, no real, like, nuance or... Even even self awareness, it's just oh hey, here's that same scene from the Matrix, but Granny's yeah. doing it. Yeah, and it, they just <laughs> do that with everything. It's just it just feels really forced. It, it feels lame. Weirdly enough, they do more animation styles than in the first one, and yet it actually feels less original somehow. Um, <laughs> so just, this is so it's, it's, the story and the dialogue is so even for like kids' movie standards, it's. It's rough to watch. I was very disappointed with it. Well, 
that that is one caveat I'm gonna make. It is for kids. We do need to keep that in mind when we're talking about this. What was the movie we were just talking about? Oh, we we're talking about Mighty Ducks. And I had to watch that through the lens of, of a children's eyes. So I do think some of the dialogue stuff we have to think about at that. But the thing I thought about, Mike, a lot of the same thoughts you had. LeBron James, when he's, do, when he's in that meeting with the Warner Brothers people, he literally says in the movie, this is one of the worst ideas I've ever heard of. Somebody should have said that in the Warner Brothers boardroom when they pitched this crappy idea to set Space Jam against every single property they've ever put out all the way back to Casablanca. Like that is the biggest issue with this movie. There's way too much pandering, way too much bringing up other Warner brothers shit. It essentially becomes a children's film disguised as shameful product placement with shameful plugs and Warner brothers being like, look at all the cool things we've done through the years. I'm just going to throw every character in, in this chaotic animated mess. And instead, and the result is, the Looney Tunes basically get sidelined in their own movie, which is a problem. Like this, this, the Looney Tunes are the reason we came to Space Jam. This weird, I mean, I was looking at the original Space Jam uh, poster and it literally says Bugs Bunny, Michael Jordan. Like, so like, it's like, yes, here's these two icons that are <laughs> appearing together on screen. And now we get, you know, this new opportunity for LeBron James to be with, you know, Bugs and Daffy and Taz and Lola and the whole gang. And they basically get sidelined in their own movie because because Warner Brothers is hellbent on shoehorning in every single stinking uh, franchise that they've ever had. And it just becomes distracting. And because of that, I really can't – it's just – it's almost unforgivable the, what they did with this because it's basically one big long ad. It made hmm. me scared. Like, the more I started seeing stuff, like – when they when they showcased that they had Casablanca, I was like, oh no, are they are they, is this trying to put feelers out to see if they can remake it or do a sequel? Is this like some kind of weird, you know, market search crowdsourcing? Like, <laughs> crowdsourcing, they're gonna see like, hey, people remember Casablanca, right? Let's see how they react if it's in a movie. Would they like? I'm like, oh no, is that yeah. what this is? It was it was unfortunate. That, there was hmm. there was one moment in the film that I genuinely laughed out loud at, and I laughed hard. Uh, would you, do you care if I tell the listeners what it is? Champ, do you, or uh, Evan, do you want to hear this? Yeah, let's I, hear it. I don't care. I know. I had one where I laughed at. I wonder if we're thinking of the same thing. Yeah, so it's the moment where, because for the whole movie, you're wondering, will Michael Jordan make an appearance? <laughs> yes, you know? yes. It, we're thinking of the same thing. <laughs> yeah, so the moment where it's going to be, Michael Jordan's going to make an appearance, maybe, and then it's revealed it's not Michael Jordan, it's Michael B. Jordan. And he shows up and he gives a, a Friday Night Lights inspirational speech. Like, I genuinely laughed out loud when it cut to him. I, was, yeah. I laughed. That moment was fun. Yeah, Sylvester the Cat at halftime tries to lure Michael Jordan onto the team because they're getting their ass beat, and it ends up being Michael B. Jordan. And the look on LeBron's face when he's like, that's Michael B. Jordan, uh, it was pretty pretty funny. I, I, I do think um, there, there was some – there was some okay touches, Mike. I definitely didn't dislike it as much as you did. First of all, I didn't think LeBron was terrible. I thought he was likable enough in the movie. I, I, I liked his voice acting more than his real acting, obviously. Like when he was the Toon character, I liked it. He was fine. It was charming enough. 
Um, and it was fun seeing him like fanboy out basically whenever a new Looney Tune would come on screen and he'd be like, bugs! Or like when Marvin the Martian shows up, he's like, that's Marvin the Martian! That's Marvin the Martian! He's like all pumped and fanboying about him. So I thought they did a decent job with that. I like the idea that the Looney Tunes would be offended by being turned into a commuter, computer animated uh, characters yeah. instead of traditional hand-drawn ones. Like they view it as like yeah. the worst thing that could ever happen to them because they're classic animation. They get turned into CGI characters. And I think that's, that's kind of a funny touch to sort of, but that's like one of the few meta things that is actually like used in this movie. Cause if you remember the first space jam, a lot of the funniest stuff in that movie was like Michael Jordan making fun of himself or the Looney Tunes being self-aware or Daffy Duck kissing his Warner Brothers trademark on his ass because he's worth so much money. Like this, this meta self-aware stuff. They tried to shoehorn some of that in like with LeBron jokes and he plays for every team in the league and stuff like that. But, but the meta comedy just didn't hit. It felt more, it just fell flat and that's, that's a little bit disappointing in a movie where you have, you know, these iconic characters. Yeah. It, it does feel like Warner brothers is trying to compete with Disney a little too hard at the expense of their own art quality. Like we kind of saw this with, you know, the Marvel movies where, you know, Disney was creating these Marvel, the Marvel universe and Warner brothers was like, Oh, we got to do that. Like, and, and they, and none of it felt original or authentic to the DC universe and the stories. It just kind of felt like, Hey, Marvel made this zany one. We have to do it now too. Like, or, you know, and, and now it kind of feels like they're doing that with animation too, where it's like, Hey, they made, or, you know, I guess it wasn't technically maybe uh, Disney who made into the spider verse, but it did kind of feel like, Hey, into the spider verse did all this like hilarious, like tribute to all these pop culture things. And it was all these different styles of animation. We got to do one of those too. Like, and it just was like, yeah, she didn't really have, you know, the heart of the story was just too, you know, it was too cliche to actually feel moving. Like, right, I don't they, know. They try and shoehorn in all this heartfelt shit about, you know, LeBron sort of learning that he needs to let people be themselves and he can't just force his way of doing things upon others. And that's exemplified by the Looney Tunes at halftime when he's like, okay, bugs will do things your way. And that leads him to come to realize that he needs to accept his son and take an interest in his interests and not try and shoehorn him into doing the things that he's done in his life. So they definitely do try and provide a uh, emotional backdrop to the story but like you said, it is a little bit cliche and it doesn't really hit uh, at, to a point where y you really feel the emotional impact of it. And it's sort of undercut, again, by these weird slapstick corny jokes. So, uh, Evan, I'm sure you're not happy to hear all this Space Jam criticism because I know you like the first one. But what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, obviously... Uh... You know, I don't know. I haven't seen the first one in a long time, so I don't know if I would consider it good by like a now standards or if it was just nostalgic, and that's why I liked it. But a couple of thoughts. Uh, first, how the hell do you not get Michael Jordan to come back? That's lame. Uh, number two, the trailers don't mention hardly anything about the other references to Warner Brothers, barring the big, wide view crowd shots so i wonder if they realized after the fact like whoops this was a bad decision let's market it 
to LeBron and, and the Looney Tunes because that's all you see in the trailer. You don't – I mean, I saw, I saw like in the big panning crowd shots some references to Warner Brothers, but it wasn't – it sounds like it was totally um, kind of overwhelming, the film. And then lastly, you know, lastly, I think that I've seen a lot of people on social media kind of rail against the people who criticized it with the whole – it's a kid's movie. Everyone ripping on Space Jam, it's a kid's movie. But it sounds like for you guys, even with that said, it wasn't even close to what it should have been. It, it just seems so obvious what Warner Brothers is doing, where they're like, it's like this shameless promotion of their other properties in a movie where they don't need any of that. They already have these iconic characters that have been around for yeah. decades. You don't need to shoehorn in Harry Potter. You don't need King Kong. And yeah, you mentioned those big sweeping crowd shots. It's, it's quite frankly, it's distracting because it all takes place during this game, which is basically like this video yeah. game come to life where there's all this crazy stuff happening anyways. And some of the stuff that's happening during the game is kind of fun, you know, like all the Looney Tunes doing their specific, you know, little things and their special moves and using their specific skills to score points. Some of that can be entertaining. But as you're watching that, you've got like all these different characters in the background around the court and you find your eyes watch looking like looking at all the like is that pennywise is that the droogs from a clockwork orange <laughs> yeah. is that is that yeah. like it's like you're like not even watching the actual movie because you're spending so much time yeah. looking for easter eggs in the crowd and that's a problem yeah. because you're not you're not going to care about the plot development of the movie when you're more concerned about background noise so i just think yeah. it was a huge miscalculation the whole movie's a little bit too chaotic I enjoyed seeing the Looney Tunes back on screen. I mean, they're just such classic characters. They've all got their dry humor about them. You know, Bugs not giving a shit or Porky Pig, you know, stuttering one word and then saying a different word that's like the same word. It's a synonym and Daffy Duck doing like his little asides. Like, it's just fun to see the characters, you know, all doing their classic bits. Um, but beyond that and, uh, you know, some some decent moments from LeBron James, this was kind of a chaotic mess, unfortunately, and I gave it a five and a half out of ten. What about you, Mike? I gave it a C minus. Yikes. You don't usually dip into C minus. Mm. That's just... no. So, unfortunately, that's kind of a, a pass, a skip it grades for me and Mike. I don't think most people are going to skip it because there's just a curiosity with Space Jam. We want to see how LeBron does. We want to see, uh, you know, what's going on and how they trans, translate this, you know, decade, a couple decades later. But the LeBron haters are, are going to be out in force with this, uh, you know, just, just using this as more ammo against them. Like, nice movie, dude. It sucked. You know, I could just see it already. So... Uh, probably you skip it for Space Jam A New Legacy as much as it pains me to say it. So uh, let's keep this moving along. Let's move into another Disney film. Uh, we're really covering all of the uh, bases of Disney. We're covering, uh, <laughs> we, we already covered uh, the live action Disney film. Now we're going to cover a Disney Studios animation film. We've got a Pixar film up next. So all of the Disney wings of, of, uh, are covered on this podcast. Uh, but the next film we're going to talk about here is one that came out uh, a couple months ago. It's called Raya and the Last Dragon. Uh, the plot summary, in a realm known as Kumandra, a reimagined earth inhabited by an ancient civilization, a warrior named Raya is determined to find the last dragon. Uh, this film was directed by Don Hall, Carlos Lopez Estrada, and Paul Briggs. 
It stars Kelly Marie Tran as Raya Aquafina is Sizu, uh, the main dragon there. Gemma Chan is Namari. Isaac Wong is Boone. Daniel Day Kim is Benja. Benedict Wong is Tong. Sandra Oh is Verana. So Alan Tudyk is Tuk Tuk. Uh, we got so good, good voice cast here for sure. Um, I, in, I enjoyed the voice acting quite a bit. Uh, we all saw this movie. Um, so Evan, I'll toss it to you first. Give me some initial thoughts on Raya and the last dragon. Yeah, I'm going to kick it to Mike. Cause I thought we were going with the next film, uh, in this sequence. Um, and I know Mike really, have really you, liked this. Have you ever heard of tabs? You can have multiple ones open, but go ahead. Yeah, Mike. I didn't. I didn't have any of those available. Mike, I know you really, really liked this. Um, what did you think about it? I did. I, I was a little, like, hesitant when I heard about this movie. Um, it did seem like Disney was just kind of taking other properties and being like, hey, like, you know, let, let's take Avatar The Last Airbender and Disneyfy it. Um, and I was a little cynical about that, I have to admit, because um, I loved Avatar The Last Airbender and the trailer for Raya definitely looked like it was almost kind of literally the exact same like uh, like world building type of thing. But then I watched it and I was like, "Wow, this movie's great!" It was it was a very original um, and like kind of the the way it portrayed the um, you know the issues with uh, the the land and the nature and how it's connected to magic and the dragons and people's choices of trust. And, uh, you know, it's actually a very moving story about, you know, the world being divided. And because of that, nature is hurting. And the only way we can, you know, really try to fix this is to live in humble trust with each other. Um, and that will hmm. be what helps all of our cultures survive and what will even, shall we say, bring the rain back. And Sounds like, familiar, yeah, Mike. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty special uh, message to you right now as we're all kind of worried about extreme heat waves and, you know, Oregon being on fire right now and just all these other problems that we're seeing in nature. So I was really moved by the themes and the message of the film. Uh, and yeah, the animation is beautiful. Uh, there is good uh, character development, storytelling. The world looks fantastic. Disney did a great job doing world building, um, you know, based on uh, different uh, traditional Southeastern Southeast Asia, Asian cultures and the mythology there. So it was pretty cool. I, uh, I thought this was a really good, uh, good addition to the Disney, um, Disney film uh, hall of fame. Shall we say. Yeah. I, I'll jump in and you know, I think um, Disney's obviously made a point lately to create strong kick-ass female characters and in this film, you not only get one, your primary character, you get three, essentially. You get kind of the, the villain, the dragon, and Raya. And Disney's intentionally making these decisions because the, the, the ways of the original princess is gone, and now we're heading into the warrior princess uh, mode. I mean, the film, for me, it's beautiful, right? The animation is incredible. The dragon, how the dragons fly through the air. It's just, it's just like awe-inspiring. I mean, it was such a, a well-animated film. And the world building is incredible. And they're going to so many places and doing so many different things. And while the underlying themes that you mentioned are solid, I don't think that for as much as they do and as far as they go and as many places as they see, I don't think that 
the development of the characters is as strong. I don't think that emotionally it pulled me in and captivated me like other films have from Disney. I've gotten, you know, the gut punch, like tears from certain types of uh, films within Disney. And because this one's not as much of an individualized theme, it's more of a world theme and it's not focused on specific characters and character development. I think I didn't get hit quite with that gut punch uh, like I have in other Disney films. So that was my issue with it. I, not an issue, but they went with a specific theme that was not focused on characters, but more on the world and yeah. coming together in unity. You know, it's, it's just, it's not for me, you know, it didn't have me kind of gutted like some Disney animated films have. Yeah, I mean, Raya, Raya doesn't, she kind of is who she is. I mean, she grows obviously a little bit through this journey, but, you know, she kind of is already a very wise and be, wise beyond her years yeah. sort of princess at the start of the movie. This It has pretty mature themes, I think. You know, as Mike touched on, it's all about all these different people learning to come together and trust each other. They're all from different places. They look different. They all have different, you know, sort of customs based on which part of the the dragon country they're from. So the theme of the story is that they need to come together and trust people that are different than them to achieve a common goal. So that is, yes, a more wide ranging sweeping theme more than like, you know, a lesson that an individual character would learn. I thought this was risky. And Mike, you brought up the last airbender. Um, I thought of, you know, obviously how to train your dragon the whole trilogy that uh, dreamworks just put out i mean it's different because that's set in like viking scandinavia land where this is you know an asian set film but obviously you're still dealing with dragons you're still dealing with the harmony between dragons and humans so i mean this we just saw a very well received trilogy sort of touch on a lot of these themes um so i thought maybe disney could have been you know they were sort of late to the party with this one you could say or they're sort of you could even accuse them of maybe stealing the ideas somewhat but so i was i was worried about that coming in because i love that trail those trilogy of films um but instantly you're hooked into this imaginative creative world that we haven't really seen um yeah i mean it goes without saying with disney and pixar at this point that the animation is it's just drop dead gorgeous i mean it's amazing uh the, their world building in, in almost every film these days is just incredible what i what caught me the most off guard is this on this is i mean i mentioned there's mature themes but the movie itself is is pretty mature i mean it, we, what we basically have here is a big action movie right i mean there, there is a lot of action in this movie it's mm-hmm. it's not really uh you know it's not like the traditional disney style where it's a musical where they break into song every 20 minutes and you know there's like these quirky little weird jokes and quips all the time uh this is basically an, a hardcore action movie and i, I w- it was fun to see disney sort of dive headfirst into that with a more mature adult character um there's real war and costs and stakes in this movie um i, I was thinking like are we going to see someone die like are, is somebody actually going to die in this movie i didn't know how far they were willing to take it but it felt like the stakes were very real mike do you agree yeah, and I mean, you know, someone did die. That's true. The last dragon died. Through the heart with a crossbow bolt um, because people couldn't trust each other. And then, uh, yeah, I, I did like the fact that there the there was no real like personal villain. The choices were, were the villains. You know, you could argue that the monsters 
that uh, you know turn people to stone were the real the real enemy but even they were just kind of like their own just violent force of nature there was no mind or matter or personality to them they just they just existed um yeah i i do agree with you too that there were there were certain last uh um how to train your dragon uh elements in it but i mean at the end of the day anything with dragons you know it's probably going to be borrowing from 20 different things so um i i i thought they they borrowed enough that it was familiar but it wasn't like ripoff I was I was okay with what they did. I didn't think it was not not the not that they need my permission or something, but you know, <laughs> I, I I didn't I thought it was it was you know respectable. I'll allow it, he says. I'll allow it. <laughs> what grade you? Yeah, do I it? mean, oh, go ahead, Evan. I was just gonna say, what did you guys think about? I don't know. What did you think about the ending? Like, did do you feel like it was just too predictable, too neatly wrapped up? Not like an I don't know. I guess I just. I think the, the, the journey is incredible, but the end for me was a little bit too perfect, a little bit too clean. And it's a kid's the takeaway, well, but you just said it has heavy adult themes. And we've always, appreci- we've always appreciated Disney for being able to have more adult themes in their animated films. That's what makes Disney amazing. And I don't know, it was, there was so much going on. There, they had so much to say, but at the end of the day, like the, the way it was wrapped up was kind of so basic. Yeah. Am, I, am I the only one who thought that? I thought I mean, it, it was cookie a, cutter. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not going to, I don't know. It's not going to end with Kumandra yeah. being destroyed. It's got to be a happy ending. It's got to be a happy ending. I know, but it was, yeah. It was, yeah. That's I don't fine. know. You know, like there's certain films that you, you watch you obviously were watching them all intellectually, but you also watch them with your emotion. And this one, you know, gauging it against some of Disney's best, it just didn't pull me in quite, didn't like give me that gut punch quite in the same way. Um, like when the Toy Story characters are going down the furnace or when, or the opening se- sequence in Up, like those where you're just like bawling, you know, and I'm not saying every movie has to do that, but um, Disney has done that and knowing they have, um, you know, this didn't quite have the, the, the wallop, the emotional wallop that others have. And that's okay. Just, it just didn't. All right. What, uh, what grade would you give it, Mike? Um, I would give it an A. Well, that was an A. I really liked that movie. I thought it was beautiful, sweet, it's well done. Uh, and I actually, we haven't talked about it yet, but I love the voice cast too. I thought Kelly Marie Tran, Aquafina did a great job. Um, it was nice to see. Kelly Marie Tran getting a little um, better treatment from Disney than she got as Rose in Star Wars. Um, and Aquafina is just all around great. So, yeah, I, I gave it an A. Good on, good on all of them. I will say the dragon, it, it surprised me. When, you know, you see the trailer, you see the, you know, the, the type of character that the dragon was, was really cool and kind of surprised me. I ended up giving it. Uh, a seven i thought it was good you know seven's good but it just wasn't quite up there with some of the other disney films i've seen i enjoyed it quite a bit i gave it an eight out of ten uh again animation just incredible i i enjoyed the action sequences i thought that it was fun to just see like basically a straight up action adventure film uh where they didn't you know I like a musical just as much as anyone, but it was nice to see Disney sort of step away from that and try something else um, in terms of, you know, the way that they can draw people in. Um, And I think, again, those, those, those themes, 
uh, that were spread throughout that were very mature. And uh, I think it's a good timely message, as Mike said. So uh, that's Raya and the Last Dragon. It was something I think that we were all surprised by how much we liked it. Um, but uh, very glad I watched it. I know my wife liked it quite a bit, too. So uh, definitely would recommend. I think it's available on Disney Plus now. Uh, speaking of Disney Plus, we've got one more film to talk about that is also available on Disney Plus. It's Disney Pixar's latest, and it's called Luca. Uh, this film was directed by Enrico Casarosa uh, on the Italian Riviera. An unlikely but strong friendship grows between a human being and a sea monster disguised as a human. Uh, Jacob Trombley plays Luca Pagaro, our main guy. Jack Dylan Glazer is Alberto Scarafano. Uh, Emma Berman plays Julia, the, the human girl they befriend. Uh, Severiero Romando. Wow, I'm, this is cool. They had a lot of uh, actual Italian actors. That's sweet. Marco Baricelli is Massimo, uh, the human's dad. Jim Gaffigan plays Lorenzo. Maya Rudolph is Daniela. Uh, let's see who else we hear. Sasha Barra Cohen makes a, a pretty charming but short appearance as Uncle Ugo. Uh, we'll get to that in a sec. I freaking love that guy. Uh, but uh, um, let's see who wants to go first here. Who haven't we heard from Mike? Okay. We can go to you since Evan, you know, probably doesn't have the tab open. Uh, so uh, I have it ready. <laughs> uh, Mike, give me some of your initial, give me an initial take on Luca. I mean, I literally just saw Luca. Like I just finished it about an hour ago. And um, I thought it, it's a, it's a very sweet, very simple story about um two little mermaid boys in um <laughs> sea monsters little, mike they're not mermaids we'll <laughs> see town in, in, in italy and uh they come on land to just have some fun and the land people are afraid of them but then they try to hide who they are to fit in uh and then slowly it comes out and the worlds are united and it's actually a pretty straightforward but commonly worn story that we've kind of seen a lot of i don't i i don't know i I don't think there was anything that original in it but didn't mean it wasn't still good and sweet like it was very very nostalgic maybe a little overly so but uh yeah it was it was fine like it was it was a cute little movie yeah i i'm just gonna just jump in sorry champ Um, so I'm watching this and, you know, we know what Pixar typically looks like. And I'm like racking my brain. I'm like, this reminds me of something. What is this? What does this look like? You guys remember Wallace and Gromit? Yeah. Claymation. It it has a Wallace and Gromit feel to it. And I don't know if that was intentional or not. I've not really researched it, but that's kind of who the characters look like with kind of their long faces and their kind of unique looking smiles. The animation's fun um, when, you know, they're sea monsters. So as soon as they get hit by water, um, they turn into sea monsters and they're really bright and colorful and fun. And so there's some fun with the animation there. But I agree, Mike. Um, you know, we just talked about a, an epic sweeping adventure film. And we've talked about how Disney and Pixar have really played to both the young and the old audiences. This felt like it was catered and designed specifically for the youngest of Pixar viewers. It was the simplest story I think I've ever seen, honestly, out of Pixar. They didn't go anywhere. There wasn't some huge adventure. They didn't do a whole lot. The crux of the story was, like you already said, Mike, and the climax was this 
this huge like Grand Prix style event. And the theme was about acceptance. And um, it really felt catered towards children specifically. And it, that's fine. Um, but it, it uh, didn't hit some of the more adult themes or reach some of the more adult audiences. And I'm sure, Champ, you probably noticed that as well. Well, I mean, look at the Pixar films we've gotten recently, right? You got like Coco, where you're dealing with all these themes about death, and he goes to this sort of out-of-body world. You've got Inside Out, where you're literally like watching a girl's emotions play out from the inside out. You've got Soul, which we just reviewed a couple months ago, where it's this complex abstract idea about souls and how that impacts humans and being sent to earth and so lately with all these pixar films we've gotten all these big ideas right that are sort of portrayed on screen in cute ways and with this film it's just straight back to the simple formula of give us a couple characters throw them together put them on some simple adventures and they learn a lesson in the end. And is that not just the classic Disney formula that we've been watching for years and years and years and years? I mean, it it basically is the Disney formula that made Disney Disney. And I don't think that that's a problem in this case. I mean, this is a, this was a uh, Pixar's first direct to streaming uh, uh, film. So I think it's reasonable to think that a lot of families are going to be at home watching this together. Kids are going to be watching this probably by themselves. Um, So I think it was a good movie to sort of have go straight to streaming like that because it's very accessible and digestible for just about any age Mm -hmm. because there's, like you said, really not a lot going on. That being said, I do think that this idea that you sort of touched on, which is acceptance could be very important and powerful for a kid to see. I mean, it's, you've got, uh, you've got, uh, I mean, you got basically the idea is that just because someone's different or is an outsider or doesn't look like you uh, doesn't mean that they shouldn't be accepted or fit in, you know, even, and that's, that's exemplified through, I think through the sea monsters itself, the fact that they're not human doesn't mean, you know, they're actually sea monsters. That's a very obvious theme, but even like Massimo, uh, the girl's dad has one arm. He was born without an arm. I think that's another way to sort of just point out like, you know, he looks different, but he's just a, he's just a guy. He's just a normal person. You know, the Mm -hmm. girl herself has all these weird quirks and everyone calls her weird and, you know, like makes fun of her. So I I do think that while simple, uh, the idea of accepting people for who they are is a very powerful one. Yeah, it's a, it would definitely be a good movie for a kid to see if it was a kid who felt like they were an outsider, like they were different, like people thought of them as monsters. And I, I do think that's, that's important to have kids have that message of, hey, just because some people think of you or your, you know, the way that you are as monsters, it doesn't mean you are. It doesn't mean anything mm-hmm. wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, that's a good message for kids. I will say one thing that did a little, kind of annoy me just a little bit, it was how like all the accents were well not all of them but a lot of the accents were generally very american sounding until they would say an italian word and then all of a sudden the word was pronounced with this very exaggerated italian like pronunciation and that was a little well as uh, mike as someone who just got back from italy a couple years ago (laughs) i can tell you that italians do do that they'll say a bunch of words in english and then they'll say some phrase in italian like it, it it's this movie in general made me miss Italy because just that city, what, what is it? Something with a P, whatever. It made me just be like, man, I miss Italy. Like this country 
is just awesome. Like, I love the setting of this movie. I love the, the, I mean, it goes without saying at this point with Pixar, the animation is just drop dead gorgeous. I mean, mind blowing. The scene when they're on the riding, racing bikes in the rain through the city. I mean, the animation mm-hmm. in that sequence was mind blowing. Yeah, it was pretty. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's kind of what you've come to expect. And we've talked about this a lot on the podcast uh, with Marvel films and Disney and Pixar and like, you watch it through a different lens, right? And none of us aren't saying that this is a good movie. It's definitely watchable and enjoyable. And same with Raya, but these these creators have reached, these studios have reached such great heights that you, I inherently watch them, watch the films from a little bit of a different lens and an expectation. And like I said, I think that, you know, the eight or nine-year-old sitting down and watching this is going to love it. And it was enjoyable and cute and... There's not a whole lot, you know? I mean, I think you're right, Champ. It's a good, timely message. Was this film ambitious in any way? Absolutely not. It was super safe. But that's okay. And they don't all have to have some big risk-taking theme with them. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, this was just a it was a straightforward, bread-and-butter, Pixar-Disney movie that worked just fine. It, it may not be your favorite. It may not be groundbreaking. But it was fine. It was yeah. fine. And Mike, you briefly mentioned nostalgia. Uh, I, I, that's another thing that I was thinking of, in addition to wishing I was back in Italy. The other thing I was thinking of was uh, nostalgia for my youth, you know, like just like this, those summers, like before we had jobs or we were adults and you just kind of had nothing but time in the summer where you would just meet up with your friends and you would go on a random adventure. You would climb a tree. You would get into trouble somewhere. You would go to the, some beach or you would go on a hike in the woods. You don't know whatever it is. It really just made me think about uh, and have nostalgia for those summer days when you were young, you know? And I think that, you know, that it's, I mean, those were such, those were such like foundational times for a lot of people. I mean, and I grew up in Northern Michigan, Evan did too. You know, we had a lot of woods and uh, it's just like, I have nothing but fond memories from that time period of my life because it was so simple. And I guess this movie kind of brought me back a little bit. Yeah. Silencio Bruno. Silencio Bruno. Silencio Bruno. (laughs) All right. Well, let's silencio ourselves. All right. We're, we're coming up on an hour here. Uh, Give me your grades and then we'll get out of here. Mike. I I give it a B plus. I give it a 6.5 or rather respectable. I was kind of like Cruella. I was like in between a 6.5 and I gave it a, I gave it a seven on IMDb and I was kind of in between that. I was at 7.5. I uh, liked it quite a bit. Not quite as much as Raya because like we said, the scope of Raya was just so much bigger. And I think it was, it was doing more uh, within its story than this was because this was just such a small story, but animation incredible the characters are cute it's a wonderful setting and like i said it, it made me uh think warm fuzzy feelings when i was watching it and i think it would be a great film to watch with the family or even if kids are looking for something so i mean really all four of these films that we talked about today are good family films that mm-hmm. i think families can can sit down and watch together and enjoy and hopefully our reviews today helped uh help you know, if you listen to this and you were wondering, uh, you know, which of these new animated films or new family films to pop on, maybe this will sort of help you narrow down which one to watch first. So hope you enjoyed that. Uh, Mike and Evan, anything else you want to say? Sorry, it's been a while, folks. Uh, life's been busy. 
Um, might be it might be a while before we see movies again. We'll see if theaters start shutting down with the rise of the Delta variant. But uh, you know, we just we love you. Thanks for sticking with us and um, keep watching good stuff. Yeah, Evan yeah, was I dodging mean, hurricanes there for a second, so I, I <laughs> made was, it kind of yeah, difficult. And then I went to Michigan. It's been kind of crazy, but um, Loki is one that I want to get to next. And uh, In the Heights, uh, I won't say too much, but um, really looking forward to reviewing that. Those are a couple that we're going to get to the next pod, along with some other stuff that's coming out as well. Hopefully for sure. Black Widow. Yeah, that too. Black Widow will be on the next pod as well. Um, so maybe a little Marvel, little Marvel input on the next pod. So you got that to look forward to. Uh, probably be a couple weeks on that, like usual. It's summer. All three of us are busy. We're in different states. So we try and get to it as soon as we can. Um, but yeah, like you said, we'd like to get at least one a month out. And we've been pretty good about that so far. So uh, again, please like, rate, and view the podcast if you can. Check us out on the social media sites. And you know where to find our old episodes if you'd like to go back and and listen uh but again for mike nichols evan dean thanks so much for listening i'm brandon champion we'll see you next time on the second day film podcast and we will see you at the movie